going to be in Acts chapter 28 today. Acts 28, last chapter of Acts. And so we're going to be finishing up this week and next week, I think. It'd be a good way to finish out the year. And then I've got a, a new new series, new direction plan for the new year. Maybe we'll be launching that on New Year's Eve, actually. <coughs> anyway, Acts chapter 28. And let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer as you're finding your place there. And dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. We do thank you for the day that you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet together as a church family. Thank you for those who have gathered out today. And I just pray, Lord, for your your blessings on our our services today. And I just pray that you would God and direct me, Lord, as I seek to, to teach and to preach your word. I pray that the things said would be uh, true and accurate and helpful. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would meet with us, Lord, and that it would apply uh, the the things that we were reading and studying, that that he would make it uh, applicable to our lives and helpful to us, Lord, that through this we would grow, that our faith would be strengthened, and, and Lord, that you would just uh, give us what we need for the coming days and weeks ahead, Lord. We just ask you to be with those who are still on their way out this morning, that you'd watch over and be with those who are unable to be with us. I know that we've got some that are, are unwell this morning. I just pray that you'd uh, heal them up and strengthen them. And Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. And amen. Okay, so we are, as I said, finishing up the book of Acts. And last week we were looking at uh, Paul's trip to Rome. And I hope that your guy's trip to Portugal is a lot less eventful than his trip to Rome was. But anyway, um, we were looking at his trip to Rome, and he was uh, imprisoned for a couple of years before he was finally sent out. And after he uh, got on board the boat, uh, he went from problem to problem to problem. Uh, And as he was going about his voyage, his journey here, he was constantly... Uh, the voice of reason, it seems like. He was the one that kept a level head, and he was able to, uh, even though he was imprisoned, even though he was on his way to stand before Caesar to give an account for himself, even though he's been abused and mistreated, even though he's chained, even though problems arise and all of these things, uh, he is able to uh, to go forward confidently in faith because he is trusting in the Lord to guide him. He's trusting in the Lord to direct him. On top of that, God has already assured him that he is going to make the journey, that he is going to stand before uh, before Caesar. And so with that, he has a confidence built upon uh, the revealed word of God for his life. And so as he is going about, uh, no matter what storm comes about, no matter what trouble comes about, he is able to keep his head. And as this is happening, there are multiple times that he gives out warnings, that he gives out advice, that he tries to help and tries to guide the people that are around him. But, as is often the case, his warnings and his advice goes unheeded. And I think we can all relate to that, that there's plenty of times that we try to help, that we try to uh, advise, that we try to uh, give guidance to people, and they're unwilling to listen, they're unwilling to hear. Our advice goes unheeded, and they go off into uh, trouble as a result of it. Not saying that we're infallible or that our advice is always right, but we've always seen those kind of things. And so Paul is ministering, he's trying to help, and yet it's being rejected. And because of them rejecting what he has said, it's actually ushering him into the midst of the storm, right? 
He says, if we set out from this, if we uh, try to make this next journey, if we don't wait here until the storm is passed, then there's going to be a great loss of uh, the cargo and of the ship and maybe even of lives, right? And they say, well, we're not going to listen to you. We're not going to listen to the word of God. We're going to listen to the, the experts, the scholars, the ones who have experience in things, right? And so they reject what he says. And so he is in the middle of this storm by no fault of his own. He is brought there uh, bound to these other people who made bad decisions. And a lot of times we end up in storms. We end up in problems because of other people's decisions, right? Because of the things that other people do. And so anyway, he's in the middle of the storm. And throughout all of this, because of the way that he lived, because of the way that he conducted himself, because he kept the faith, uh, he gained credibility facing the storm. Really, the storms in our lives are opportunities, okay? They're opportunities. If we face them with faith, if we face them trusting God and leaning on God and depending on God through the storm, it is an opportunity for us to see God work and for us to display uh, God's guidance and his protection and his help and his care to those who don't know him. And so through all of this, the people who are surrounding Paul gets an idea of who his God is by watching how Paul weathers the storm. Okay, So if we're losing our head whenever things are falling apart, then it's a bad testimony for our God, right? But if we can weather the storm, if we can go through the difficulties, still trusting him, knowing that God is in control and God knows what he's doing, it is a testimony to all those who are around and they can see us go through those storms and they can know that it is our God that is keeping us through that. And so anyway, where we ended last week was uh, at the end of this storm, they, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of this storm, the ship was broken up and all of the people that were on the ship were commanded to make their way to the island. Those who could swim, they were to swim to the island. Those who couldn't swim was to cling to parts of the boat and float ashore. And that's what they were doing. And so we come to chapter number 28. And we'll go ahead and start reading in verse number one. And it says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that uh, that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not, uh, suffereth not to live. And he shook, the, shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked uh, when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And so we'll stop there for, for the time being. But it's interesting to me as we see this interaction that takes place. Uh, the island that they came to was called Melita. It is current modern-day Malta. Okay, uh, Does anyone remember last week uh, where they were aiming to go whenever they set out? This last trip that where they were expecting to travel to? No one remembers this? Okay, if you remember, they were on uh, the island of Cyprus, I believe it was, and they were trying to go 
Um, what Cyprus or Crete? Anyway, Crete. Okay, they were on Crete in the fair havens. And they said the havens were not commodious for them to winter in. Paul says, stay here. They said, it's not comfortable. We're going to go further. And they wanted to just go a little further on this little island. They were expecting a few hours or maybe a day's journey to the next port. That's where they were hoping to go to. So they just thought they were going to spend a short amount of time on the boat, go to the next little port, and they were going to spend the winter there. Now, if you look at a map, rather than going from one end of the little island to the other, they have went from the the eastward end of the island all the way down and around and over to the island of Malta. And so instead of going this far on the map, they went this far on the map. Okay? And the reason I'm bringing this out is they had plans. They they thought they knew what was going to happen. They thought they knew where they were going to go. But circumstances beyond their control took them a complete different route, a complete different journey, and put them in a place completely different than they expected to be at. And that's what happens in our lives. We have our best laid plans. We have everything sorted out. We have uh, uh, our roadmap ahead of us. And as we go about in our lives, there are storms that come, there's difficulties, there's troubles that come about, and it changes our course. Sometimes we spend seasons tossed at sea. Sometimes we spend seasons in difficulties and whatnot. And through those difficulties, it changes the path that we're traveling, puts us in a different place than what we have expected. And this is what happened to Paul and his whole group that was with him. Now, Paul had a warning. Uh, The Word of God says, don't travel this way or harm is going to come. And they traveled that way, harm came, all right? Now, that's not saying that every storm is because we are disobedient to God, that every, every redirection is because we're out of the will of God, but this is what happened in this time. And so anyway, the storms came. Uh, the time of sea uh, tossed them about, ended up going a complete different direction and a complete different place than what they had set out for. And so they ended up on the island of Malta, And it says, And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for uh, they kindled a fire and received everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. See, even though they went far away from where they had intended and far from where they had planned to go, God had made provision for them. He had uh, prepared a place for them for whenever they got there. Remember, this boat was not a small boat. It was a large boat. Is a large grain vessel, and it tells us that there was 276 people on board. That's a big boat. And so whenever you put that into perspective, they land on the island of Malta, 276 people wash ashore from a shipwreck, and the people of that island uh, gather together, they, they rally together, if you will, to help these people, to get them dried out, to get them fed, to to make sure that they are safe and make sure that they recover from this wreck. And then they're going to house them for three months. Now, they said that the Fair Havens wasn't commodious to lodge in, but now they're going to spend three months in this place. It says that the barbarous people, uh, whenever it says barbarous or barbarian, it doesn't mean that they are coming out in loincloths and spears. Okay? (laughs) But it means that they are non-Greek-speaking people. So anyone who couldn't speak Greek was known as a barbarian. They spoke a different language, whatever, and we understand what that's like. You know, many different languages that we hear. And I guess for us, you know, anyone who doesn't speak English would be a barbarian. (laughs) Right? I'm not saying that by a native tongue, but anyone that doesn't speak English, we can't communicate with them, right? And so now there's even a language barrier, but God has still put these people 
in their path and made preparation for them to take care of them. And so these people, uh, God had made them come just to the right place to where there were ones that could bring them there, that could take care of them, that could draw them out, that could house them, that could, all of these things. God made a way. It wasn't the haven that they wanted. It wasn't the island that they wanted. It wasn't the people that they wanted to associate with, especially with them being Greeks and Romans and Jews and whatnot. They didn't want this little island of barbarians, but yet God had made a place for them. Okay, And that's something for us to take to take heart in as well, because as we go throughout life, God is going before us. God is preparing the way. He knows the storms that we're going to weather. He knows the provision that we need on the other side of it. And he can put people in place. He can uh, connect the dots, if you will, to make sure that we are cared for, to make sure that we have what we need. Now, I will say that Paul and all the rest of the people in the boat, if they had their preferences about it, they wouldn't have wanted the storm. They definitely wouldn't have wanted the shipwreck. They wouldn't have wanted to be floating out in the sea on the boards. But still, God was with them throughout all of that and brought them to a place where they were cared for. And so he provided for them. And so as we come down to verse number three, uh, the bad isn't behind them yet. That's encouraging, isn't it? The bad isn't behind them yet. Okay, so Paul has weathered the storm. He has survived the shipwreck. And verse 3, when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, Paul's the prisoner. Paul's the one that's been ignored. He's advised. He's been able to stand in the place and say, I told you so. And he could have pouted. He could have whined around. He could have said, I told you it's all your fault if you would have listened to me. He could have sat there by the fire warming himself saying, I'm a prisoner. I've been mistreated and I've been marginalized. And he could have just had his, his sour grapes there. But whenever he gets to the island, he he immediately begins ministering. That's interesting, isn't it? He's going out and he's uh, gathering sticks. These people have kindled fires. And Paul says, hey, I need to get involved in this. I need to get doing something. And so he is going out and he is gathering sticks, seeing to it that the people are warm, that the people are dry, and he is making himself useful. He says, I'm not just going to sit here by the fire and soak up the provision. I'm not going to just sit here and let everybody else serve me. Instead, I'm going to be going about and serving others. And this was Paul's way. Even in the storm, even whenever he's wet, even whenever uh, these things have happened, even when he's been shipwrecked, he jumps up and he goes and starts gathering sticks. And as he's doing so, it's already told us it's rainy, it's wet, it's cold. He's gathering sticks. And it says, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So apparently there was a snake that was kind of laying dormant. You know, they're cold-blooded creatures, right? And as they as it got warmed up by the fire, it came back to life, out of hibernation, whatever you want to call it. And it latched on Paul's hand, and it says that it hung on his hand, and he shook it off into the fire. And so it's like insult on injury, right? And he has been through the storm. He has been through the shipwreck. He has went through all these things. He's a prisoner on top of all that. He's going about trying to do good. Let no good deed go unpunished, right? And so he's doing good. He's uh, gathering up wood. He's making a fire. He is, and then a snake bites him. Not just any snake, a venomous viper. And the locals, the natives of the land, knows what kind of a snake this is. 
And they said, okay, that's it. He's a goner. He's going to swell up. He's going to fall over dead. That's the end of Paul. That is the expectation, right? And so under normal circumstances, Paul survived imprisonment. He survived the Jews. He survived the storm. He survived the shipwreck. And a snake got him. And if it would have been us, being honest here, right? <laughs> we would have said, no fair, God. What do you expect of me? How much are you going to let happen? I've given my life. I've abandoned my religion. I have abandoned all of the possessions and even family and all these things. I have given years and years to your service. I have been stoned. I've been beat. I've been thrown out of cities. I've been marginalized. I have lost my riches. I have uh, lost my health. I've been shipwrecked three times. I've spent a day and a night in the deep. I've done all these things. And then I come here, I'm going to die from a snake bite while I'm trying to warm people up. You ever been there? But anyway, as all of the people are looking on, waiting for Paul to drop dead, they are going through the things that Paul's went through. They know that he's a prisoner. He's been chained, right? They know he's a prisoner. They know that he's suffered the storm and the shipwreck. He survived all of those things. And then the snake bit him, and they make their observation, they make their judgment on Paul, and say, he's a prisoner, he must be a murderer, and though he survived these other things, that God suffered him not to live and judged him, and he is going to die because of the snake. They said, this is the wrath of God upon him. That was their estimation. Paul was misjudged by these people, right? They looked at the circumstances, they looked at the things going on in Paul's life, and they misjudged him. And we see that as a common thing going on in our own lives. We see that with many of the people in Scripture that oftentimes we are going to be misjudged by the circumstances we go through, by the way that we live our lives, by the things that befall us. People are constantly making judgments. People are constantly looking at our lives and picking apart and making judgments and oftentimes not knowing our heart, not knowing who we truly are, but they are passing judgment against us and making decisions about us based on their observations. Okay? They've done this to Paul all along. The Jews have tried to kill him. They called him a blasphemer and everything else. You look back at Peter, whatever Peter stood on the day of Pentecost, everyone that was observing him, what did they say? He's drunk. Something wrong with that guy, right? You look at all the different characters throughout Scripture, how many of them do you find that were misjudged. Joseph is a good example. Joseph is a good example. David, remember when David came out and he saw Goliath, he said, is there not a cause? What did his brother say? He said, you're a troublemaker. You just came to see a fight. We know the naughtiness of your heart. He was misjudged. Whenever Samuel came to anoint him king, he was completely overlooked. He was misjudged by his entire family, wasn't he? They weren't even going to call him from tending the sheep because they said, okay, of all of the sons of Jesse, there's no way that God chose David and misjudged him. Whenever Samuel first saw him, he thought it was going to be Eliab or one of the others. No way it's going to be David. And David ended up being the king. Jesus was misjudged. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It's the Christmas season. Whenever Herod and whenever the religious leaders heard about Jesus, 
They never even came to Bethlehem because there's no way the Messiah is going to be born in a stable and laid in a manger, birthed by poor Nazarenes, right? That's a, mis a big misjudgment. Yes. Getting charged even based on the where you came from, like, yeah. But see, with with what you just said, judged on where you came from. Is that not something that's still prevalent today? We've all been judged based on where you come from. Especially everyone who's living in a foreign country, and that's all of us right now, right? They hear your accent, and they come up with a, an idea of who you are based on the way that you sound, based on the area that you come from, right? And so people are constantly making judgments about us, and we're often going to be misjudged. And how do we respond whenever we're misjudged? Paul didn't come to his defense. Paul didn't say, okay, I want to set you straight. He didn't come and give a big diatribe about all the reasons that they were wrong. Paul shook the snake off and went about his business. And it says that he felt no harm. God protected him from this serpent. He protected him from this storm. He protected him from this. God's hedge of protection was all about Paul. It didn't mean that he never was exposed to danger, but that he was able to go through it and come out the other side better than he was whenever he went in. That's what God does in our lives, right? God doesn't make us exempt from trouble, but he will carry us through the trouble. Now, there are times that he will take us out of it. He'll deliver us from it. But many times he walks with us through it. In the 23rd Psalm, it says, Yea, that I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Sometimes you walk through that valley, but you don't have to be afraid of it, knowing that he is with us that his eye is upon us, that he is taking care of us. And so God was keeping Paul. He was protecting him. He was making provision. And back to the thought of him being misjudged, whenever we come to verse number six, it says, how be it when uh, he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. And so oftentimes we're going to be misjudged or mislabeled, but in the end, God will be the one that vindicates us. And so after this, Paul was vindicated. He continued faithfully, continued serving God, and they observed him for a while. They looked at him for a while, and in the end, they changed their mind about him. So they made a rash judgment because of the circumstances around when they first met him, but after a long observation, after seeing uh, what happened, after seeing what God done through him, they change their minds. And so that's what we need to do as well in our lives. As we're going through, we need to make sure that in our lives, we are first and foremost seeking God, that we are desiring to do the things that are pleasing to him, that we are concerning ourselves with what God would have us to do, not what everyone else would have us to do. And we're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be misjudged. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be struggles. God's going to protect us, provide for us, watch over us through them all. And in the end, we are going to be vindicated, for lack of better words. In the end, he's going to work all things together for our good and for his glory. In the end, our character, who we are, our God that we're serving is going to be on display and people are going to see things differently 
after we have continually, um, consistently walked with God. Right? But this only comes from walking with God. If we are constantly fretting and fearing, if we're up and down, if we are away from God, straying and chasing after everything coming and going, if our heart and our pursuit is in every other place, none of this really applies. Right? If we're like Jonah running away from God, running away from what he has, there may be a whale waiting somewhere to pull us back on track. He went through a storm, but his storm was to get him back on track, right? But anyway, we need to be serving him. We need to be living for him, trusting him through all things. And in the end, all of these wrinkles and all of these difficulties are going to work themselves out. God's going to take care of us. And so just a bit of a side note here. Him shaking this serpent off into the fire was something that the Lord had prophesied and promised would happen in Mark chapter 16 and verse 18. He says, go out, preach the gospel to all nations. You're going to be given these abilities. You're going to be able to be uh, handle serpents and not feel harm and be poisoned and not die, right? That wasn't God starting a, a, a new religion where we're supposed to be handling snakes to show our faith. They do that in parts of the world. Parts not too far from where I'm from. <clears throat> they say, oh, if you have the faith, you can take it. That wasn't what God was doing. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. Those same people who think they can take up the snake because of their faith, I don't see them drinking poison to show their faith. Okay? But anyway, God was showing that whenever we are going and we are doing His will, whenever we are seeing uh, His work go forth, whenever we are being a witness unto all nations, whenever we are getting the gospel out, God is going to be putting uh, a hedge of protection about our lives. He is going to be directing our steps. And he is going to keep us protected and safe until he is finished with us. See, Paul was indestructible until he finished his mission. God had told him, you are going to go and you're going to be a witness of me in Rome. And until he stood before Caesar, he was indestructible. Right? God protected him. Snakes could bite him. Boats could sink. We don't see the spiritual aspect behind this. It may have been that the devil himself was bringing up all of these storms and all these things to attack Paul. Sink his boat, kill him with a snake, attack him any way you can, try to silence him. The gospel must not get to Rome. It must not get to Nero. And it doesn't matter how hard hell fights against the things of God. If we are serving him, if we are walking with him, Satan has no power over us. But there's an if there. And so this shows us why we need to be walking with God, why we need to be serving Him, why we need to make sure that our eyes, our attention, our focus on Him is because there really is an adversary going about seeking whom he may devour. And there was no way that he could devour Paul as long as Paul was walking with God and God still had something for him to do. Now as we come to verse number 7, it says in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases, 
uh, in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, uh, which had wintered in the isle, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from thence, we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And we came the next day to uh, Puttoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. So in this passage, we have a couple more interesting things. Um, the people of the island had been very accommodating, very hospitable to Paul and to all the people that was with him. And we see in this, I believe, as they are taking care of Paul, as they are taking care of uh, the, the apostle of God, the man of God here, God is extending blessings and benefits to them. Okay? And so Paul is there, and they lodge him, lodge all the other people with him, and I think it was because of him. Other people were benefiting because they were in Paul's presence. Okay? God was doing these things for Paul, and other people were benefiting. But anyway, it says that they lodged him courteously, and this man's, uh, uh, what is his father? Yeah, the father. The father of the chief of the island is sick. And Paul goes to him, prays over him, lays hands on him, and healing comes to him. Not only that, but when the word goes out, many other people come, Paul heals them all. Now, if you can kind of transport yourself in your mind back to the circumstance, okay? You've got an island of non-Greek-speaking people, kind of outside of the Roman Empire, okay? Out in the middle of the ocean or out in the middle of the sea, there's a storm. At the end of the storm, a boat washes up on shore. A bunch of people come. You take care of them. There's this man that gets snake bit. They expect him to die. He doesn't die. So they start paying attention to him. They say there's something different about this guy. There's something up with him. They say he's a god. And, of course, we know Paul's going to respond and say, no, I'm not a god. Just like whenever they tried to worship him as Mercurius and Jupiter, right? And so he's going to refuse that. He's going to reject that. But he's going to be telling them about the God that he serves. And as they are accommodating, as they are hospitable to him, and it becomes known to him that the chief's father is sick, Paul says, can I go and see your father? You've been taking good care of me. I want to do something for you. And so as he goes to him, he lays his hands on him, prays over him, and heals him. You think that would get their attention? <laughs> Yeah. And so, okay, the snake had no power over him. He healed Publius' father. And now, many other people are coming, and he's healing all of them. He's made it clear that he is not a god, but he is a servant of the living God. And he has entrance. He has ability to preach the gospel and to be a witness to all of these people. But don't forget that it's not just the islanders that are audience to all of this. It is also the sailors, it's also the Romans, it's also the other prisoners, and everybody is paying attention, 
excuse me, everyone's paying attention to Paul and what's going on with Paul. Why is it that God granted him this ability to heal these people on this island? Why is it that God saved him from the snake bite? Well, God was using this to get the gospel to them. The Jews had the scriptures. They had the Old Testament. They understood the law and the prophets. And whenever Paul stood before them and preached the law and the prophets and told them this is what God has said and Jesus is the fulfillment of it. But these barbarians on this island had no witness of God. They had no scriptures. All they had was the testimony of creation, right? And this strange guy washes up on the island. They misunderstand who he is at first. And God allows him to do things that validate the things that he is saying. They, God allows him to perform these miracles and to survive these things that were supposedly unsurvivable so that these people would listen because guess what? God came to save sinners and God wants sinners to hear. And so God used this to open up their ears. And so the miracles and the signs and the wonders in Scripture was to validate the message and the messenger. Paul was validated before them. They listened, and many of them believed. And on that island of Malta, there was a, a body of believers that began, a church that began with Paul being shipwrecked, completely outside of the plans that they had made, while Paul was a prisoner, while Paul was in bondage, and the gospel was still going forth, people were still being saved. Isn't that amazing? Mm -hmm. Their plans was never to even come to this island. These people didn't even know each other. Paul's ambitions wasn't, I'm going to go and see people saved in a church planted on Malta. He says, I'm going to Rome. But God says there's a group of people here that need to hear the gospel. And what Satan meant to destroy Paul and all the people on the boat, God used to bring about the salvation of an island. Yeah. What Satan meant for evil, God turned for good. And that's just what God does. And many times we are blind to it, we are ignorant of it, thinking that it was a coincidence, thinking we just stumbled through things, but God was directing things behind the scenes. And so God, through the storm and all the things that Paul suffered, brought this entire village, really, to Christ. And not only that, it was a testimony to all of the people that had been shipwrecked there with Paul. We're going to see here in a minute that Paul is treated differently after this, and he is given great liberty that he is uh, taken good care of because of the people who have witnessed what Paul has done. And I think we could argue possibly that many of them became believers. And so they say, okay, well, I've got to keep you chained. I've got to keep you in prison because I'm a Roman. Paul says, yeah, I understand you're doing your job. But he's, this Roman soldier is now a Christian. Chained fast to Paul. And they're sitting there chained together while Paul's under house arrest, talking about the good things of God making the most of what what situations and circumstances that had happened and turning them for the good, turning them for God's glory because they trusted in God and they followed Him. And so anyway, so He heals these people. Uh, verse number 10, 
It says, who also honored us with many honors. So now there's promotion, right? Mm -hmm. Paul wasn't standing up promoting himself. He wasn't saying, look at what I can do. He wasn't saying, I'm going to do these things, and so everybody's going to praise and glorify me. He's just going about serving God, and even in chains, even in imprisonment, even on a, an island they didn't want to be on, he is being promoted. That reminds me of Joseph. We talked about him just a minute ago. But Joseph was a slave, and God promoted him. Joseph was imprisoned, and he became the keeper of the prison. He was promoted even in prison. Then whenever he became uh, an advisor to Pharaoh, he was promoted to being the second in command over all of Egypt. Yeah. If we follow God and just make it our goal to do that which is pleasing to him and serve him, God can handle promoting us. God can put us exactly where he wants us and where we need to be if we were serving him. And so they were honored with many honors, and they were elated with such things as were necessary. They got all the supplies they needed after being wintered for three months. And they set out, and it says in verse 12, after they had got on another grain ship from Alexandria, they arrived at Syracuse. That would have been on the island of Sicily. So if you look at Italy, the little boot shape, yeah. Just below the boot, there is an island. Okay? Y'all are familiar with that on the map? So the little island just below Sicily, or below Italy, is Sicily. That's where uh, Syracuse is at. And so they were there for three days. From thence, we fetched a compass, and we came to Regium. That is on the bottom of the boot. So they are now on continental Europe. They are on the, the shores of Italy whenever they reach Regium. And after one day in the south, uh, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Petoli, whatever it is. So they're they're making their way toward Rome. Rome is uh, a little further north on Italy. And so in verse fourteen, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. Verse fourteen is interesting to me. This is Paul's first time touching Rome physically. But the people in Italy already know Paul. Because Paul, while he was still at Corinth, sent a letter forward to Rome. And I think it was Phoebe carried the letter to Rome, and it was the book of Romans that we hold in our Bibles today. Paul had sent that forward, instructing and teaching them. And whenever he landed in Italy as a prisoner, Word started going around. There were many believers already in Rome before him from all of the traveling that had happened, from people going from place to place. And so all of the believers were already there in Italy. And whenever they heard that Paul was there, they started coming out and flocking to him and encouraging him and listening to him, wanting to hear from him. And it says that they desired for us to tarry with them seven days. So what is Paul's position on this journey? That's what he's doing, but that's not his position, is it? Paul is a prisoner, yeah. He's a prisoner. And so as these Roman soldiers are marshalling Paul from one place to another, they arrive in this place and all of the Christians come out to meet them, and they flock to Paul like he's a celebrity. And the Romans are looking on and saying, who is this guy? 
And they say, we want you to stay with us. We want you to stay with us. And the Romans relent. They say, okay, Paul, you're in charge. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. And so the Romans are watching Paul. They've been listening. Maybe some of them are saved by now. And these Christians come out and say, Paul, would you please stay for just a little while? Can you stay for a week? And Paul looks at the Romans and they say, fine with us. <laughs> right? From prison to you. Now, if you think about it, anytime you've ever watched in a movie whenever they're transporting prisoners, <laughs> no. is this the way it goes? No. But God is promoting Paul. So in the minds of the centurions, they say this man is greater than what we are. He may not be our general. He may not be our commander, but we're going to subject ourselves to him. If he says stay here for seven days, we're going to stay for seven days. And guess what he's doing during those seven days? He's teaching and preaching in the area. And guess who's listening? All the Romans that accompanied him. And so they are listening to the apostle Paul preach and teach to the Christians, to the church, in Italy for a full week. And so Paul, I'm sure, is smiling in the back of his mind at least because he can think back over the two years that he was in prison and forgot about. He can think back over the storm. He can think back over the three months on the aisle, all these different things that's brought him to this place. And he's just probably laughing to himself, uh, just saying, this is just like God that I have been imprisoned, I've been going through all these things, I was discouraged and I was doubting in times because how am I ever supposed to be effective for God while I'm in chains? And here I am preaching to the Roman guards. I am ministering to the church that's in Rome. I have started another church on the island of Malta. Maybe he did on, on uh, Sicily as well, we don't know. But he says, even as a prisoner, I am still doing the work of God. God is still making a way. He is still directing my steps. He's still enabling me to do what it was that Paul desired to do. That was Paul's greatest desire was to go and to preach the gospel to the regions beyond. And God was even allowing him to do it while he was in prison. And so whenever we come to verse number 15, it says, And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us uh, as far as Apiforum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked, uh, he thanked God and took courage. And so this shows us that he is realizing that God is uh, putting the, the pieces together, that God is ordering his steps. And so he is thanking God for the direction that God has given, for the opportunities that God has brought to him, for all of the things that God's doing. He is thanking God for it, and it says that he is taking courage. And we list Paul up maybe as being a little bit of a superhero from time to time. And as we've studied this, I've tried to kind of break that down and not fall into that trap, okay? But whenever we look at Paul's life, there's many different times that God brings about things in his life to encourage him along, to pick him up when he's discouraged, to dissolve his doubts whenever he is doubting, and to keep him going onward. And so God has drawn out believers from as far as Apiforum and the Three Taverns. One of the places I read said that that would have been over 100 miles away. 
some 200 kilometers from there, people heard and were traveling in just to come and to see Paul and to meet him and to encourage him. And so as Paul is having all these believers come to him and gather around him, he is encouraged because he has spent his life preaching the gospel. And by the way, I've got to say this. This is only about 30 years after Christ. Okay, that puts it into perspective. In 30 years, Paul is coming to a land that he has never been to, and he is hearing people say, I have trusted in Christ. I am a Christian. I am following Christ. And Paul is seeing that his labor has not been in vain. He's seeing that God's uh, gospel is going out, that people are being saved, that the church is exploding onto the world. Even with his meager efforts, with his small abilities, even with the limitations that Paul has had, he is, say, he is seeing within such a short amount of time, Christianity has overspread the known world. And so that's going to be an encouragement to Paul. He says, what I've been devoting my life to is a cause worth living for. And so he is encouraged. And so we come to verse number 16. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, which is what you'd expect, right? The prisoners go to the jail. That's where they go. But... Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Whenever they got there, they said, okay, the prisoners are going to jail, but you, Paul, you've proved yourself over and over again. We're not putting you in the common prison. You can stay in your own hired house, and yes, you're going to be guarded by a soldier, but more than likely, it's a soldier that he has befriended. Maybe, uh, I like to think that maybe there was a rotation that took place. There's two different ways to look at this. Either Paul had the house, and they kept changing out the guards maybe every every eight hours. He'd get a new guard, and he's like, mm, fresh meat. <laughs> right? And as they're, you know, the changing of the guard, the, the guy leaving, he's like, good luck. He's going to convert you. <laughs> right? Or it could be that he was living in a house alongside of a soldier. The soldier was his flatmate. One or the other, I don't know. But either way, he was under Roman guard, but not kept in a prison. God had made an opening, made a way. And even though he has went through all sorts of discomfort, all kinds of difficulties, he gets to Rome as a prisoner, but he has great liberty. He has great freedom. And so his constant trust in God, his constant uh, attitude of faith and constant uh, walk with God made a way for him to be able to dwell in Rome, not in a prison, but in a place where we're going to find out here in a little bit that he was still able to minister, okay? That he was still able to host people, still able to have church, even if it was in his house. And so I just, I want to breeze through this just a little bit here. In verse number 17, it says that it came to pass after three days, Paul called the chief Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto, unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who when they had examined me would have let me go because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal, appeal unto Caesar uh, not that I had ought to accuse my nation of, 
For this cause, therefore, have I called you to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of of Israel am I bound with this chain. And they said unto him, We have neither received letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came uh, showed or spake of any harm of thee. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And so in this in this short uh, passage here, after Paul's been here for three days, he says, okay, I need to meet with the Jews. Of course, being in Rome, there would have been a Jewish population there. Uh, he would have called them to himself because he was in the house, right? They had to come to him. And he says, this is the reason I'm here. This is what's going on. And they said, we've heard nothing about it. So as adamant as the Jews have been about persecuting Paul, they haven't sent anyone before them to Rome. They knew they didn't have a leg to stand on for one thing. But they said, we've not heard anything but we are curious. We've heard of this sect. We've heard of this group. We've heard about the Christians. We want to know more about them because everywhere they go, they are evil spoken of. And so that lets you know a little bit about their reputation. It wasn't that they were wicked. It wasn't that they were sinful. It wasn't that they were behaving badly. It was that in spite of all the things that God was doing in them and through them, they, like Paul, had been misjudged. And so they said, we want to know more about Christianity. And Paul gets an opportunity to be an ambassador for Christ to the Jewish people. Those are the ones that he loved. He wanted to see his brethren saved, right? And so he has a golden opportunity. They said, we want to hear more. Paul sets a date. They come to his house and he sets down with them, opens up the scriptures because remember, these are Jews, opens up the law and the prophets and he points them all the way, traces the path all the way to Jesus. And he says he's there reasoning with them from the morning all the way to the evening, all day long. And his method, as we've talked about in the past, he expounded and testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them out of the scriptures. So he took the word of God he explained it. He showed all of the things that God has been doing, every way that God has been working. He gave all of the evidence, and then he demanded a response. We come to verse number 24, and some believe, some believe not. And that sums up Christianity. That sums up our work of the Great Commission of going out and trying to see people saved. Before this group of people was the greatest preacher outside of Jesus Christ that ever existed. He knew the scriptures forward, backward, upside down, and sideways. He knew everything. He had the intellect. He had the ability. He had the testimony. He had the spirit on his life. And yet, in spite of all of those things, as he stood before these people and preached the gospel, explained the gospel to them, it still came to the place where many people did not believe. And so I don't bring that out to discourage you. I bring that out to encourage you because as we attempt in our lives to be witnesses, as we attempt to tell people about Christ, you can expect that there's going to be people 
who are going to reject it. And that it doesn't come back on you. It's not a testimony against you because even Jesus and the Apostle Paul were not able of their intellect, of their ability, of their spirituality to persuade everyone, neither will you. And just as they reject Paul's message, just as they rejected Christ's message, they will reject the message whenever you give it many times as well. But there were those who believed. And so this is what God has commanded us to do. Go and proclaim the gospel to all people. But the salvation, the saving of those people is between them and God. You can't save anyone. You can't convince anyone. You can't persuade anyone. You preach the gospel. You proclaim the truth to them. And then you leave it between them and the Holy Spirit, what they're going to do with it. And if they reject him, if they walk away from him, they're rejecting him and not you. Okay? And so in verse 25, And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, uh, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So he's quoting Isaiah. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. By the way, the Roman guard, that's a Gentiles listening to this. Uh, anyway, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning amongst themselves. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house and received all that came in unto him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. So he spent two years there preaching and proclaiming from his own house, entertaining anyone who came. There was no one who was forbidding. No one was saying, Paul, you can't preach that. Paul, you can't do that. Paul, you can't have them in. Uh, he had great liberty to minister in that place. And multitudes came and a great work was accomplished there. Now, my final thought I want to bring out of that passage that I just read a moment ago. <clears throat> Whenever the Jews rejected the message, it wasn't because they were they didn't know God. It wasn't because they were unfamiliar with the scriptures. It wasn't because they didn't have an effective presentation or an eloquent enough speaker. Okay? But it was because of the hardness of their hearts. And I believe much of what hardened them at that day was religion. They had put their trust in their religion. They had put their trust in their national identity. They had put their trust in all these other things besides God, and they would reject God because of it. And Paul says, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. The Gentiles will listen. But you have been so inoculated toward the gospel because of your religion, you're rejecting it. And the reason I bring that out is in the day that we live in today, it's not the Jews that we are facing. It is people who have been maybe even generationally trapped in dead and godless religion in things that call itself Christianity, in religions that claim the name of Christ but depend upon the works of their own flesh, on their own rites, their rituals, their ceremonies. And because of those things, you can preach the gospel, you can teach the gospel, you can take them to the scriptures, you can 
I show them all of the truths of the Word of God, but oftentimes their heart, their hearts are hardened and cold. Their eyes are blind. Their ears are dull, are dull of hearing, and they are still rejecting the gospel. Why is it in post-Christian Europe, post-Christian America, why is it that people are so disinterested? The same reason why the Jews were back then. And so we can see a comparison there. That's not for us to wave the white flag of surrender. That's not for us to, uh, to call it a, a lost cause. There were people getting saved, and there are still people getting saved. But it's also for us to understand the place where we're living and the things that we're going through and the way that the Word of God applies to our lives today. Just because the world seems to be disinterested doesn't mean we quit, doesn't mean that we give up, and doesn't mean that we're failing. So we continue serving God. We continue living for Him, just like Paul did. God's got a place for us. He's got something for us to do. He is working all things together. He is ordering our steps if our eyes are on Him, if our desire is toward Him. And so that brings us to the end of the book of Acts. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to uh, kind of put a... Uh, a final closing on this book. I want to do a bit of a review and just kind of do a summary of what we've looked at and close it out for uh, this series. And then, like I said, uh, probably on New Year's New Year's Eve, we will be beginning something new. So does anyone have anything to add to what we've looked at today? Any questions or comments or anything? Okay, well, if there's nothing, we'll go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and we will take a short break. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we do thank you for the day that you've given us. Thank you for your word, and Lord, for the examples in it, for the lessons that we can learn from it. And Lord, I just pray that something that uh, was said this morning, something that was brought out of your word, would uh, have an impact, would have an effect, Lord, that would stick in the hearts and minds of, of folks this week and be a help and encouragement to them. And Lord, I just pray that we would see the need for us to walk with you, to keep serving you, to keep living for you, and allow you to do what only you can do in our lives. Lord, we thank you for all that you do, and we do love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.